Remember the Bible story about the baptism of the Lord Jesus, don't you? John the Baptist was asked to baptize him, and he resisted that. John could not do that. But he had to, and he eventually did, and he baptized the Lord Jesus in the water of the Jordan River. And the Lord Jesus went underwater. He didn't see him anymore. That indicated his death. And he rose again, his resurrection. And then we see a dove coming down, right? Kind of the symbol of the Holy Spirit. And landing on the Lord Jesus. And I hear a voice. He hear a voice, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Lord Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was on him. So that is why not only Isaiah, but also the Lord Jesus could say, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. So the Lord Jesus was anointed, like in the Old Testament, the kings and the priests and the prophets were. But now in the New Testament, someone else is anointed. Not only the Lord Jesus was, not only the author were, but in the New Testament, the church. The church is anointed. The church is God's servant. The church is the missionary among the nations, the salt of the world, a city on a hill. The church has been called before, called to go out to all the nations, but the church had to wait with the, with, with the performing of the duties until she was endued with the Spirit. So mission work was commanded, but the church was waiting for the unction, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But on the day of Pentecost, the church was officially installed. The Lord Jesus installed in his service. Now the church is installed to be the missionary. The disciples are gifted now. The simple fishermen speak strange languages. They magnify God before the people. Well, we need the same spirit to do our duties in the church. Not only official offices, office bearers, but also all true Christians. All true Christians are called to witness and to serve and to follow the Lord. They're all called Christians because they're all anointed with the Spirit. Are we part of that church? Are we living members 
of Christ, partakers of his anointing, as the Heidelberg says. We believe that not only ministers and elders and deacons have work to do in the church, but all Christians. Would you like to be one? His service is a good service. He gives to speak. Let us pray for the Spirit to be upon our leaders and members and church, so that we are that salt. Go, therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. So let us look at Acts 2, against that background. With in mind that prophets, priests, and kings were anointed, the Lord Jesus anointed, and the church is now anointed. The text is Acts 2, the verses 1 through 4. Let's read them again. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty, rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So far, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, fourth was the day of the Holy Ghost, the work of the Holy Ghost, the power of the Holy Ghost, and the praise of the Holy Ghost. So the outpouring of the Holy Ghost is the day. We read in God's word, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Secondly, the work. Thirdly, the power. And fourthly, the praise. Congregation was super busy in Jerusalem. It was really crowded. Our hotels were full. Many family members over. And they stayed there. The city was buzzing. People slept in tents outside. Stores were busy. Special time, the busiest time of the year. When there was the Pentecost feast. An old Jewish feast. Celebrating the beginning of the wheat harvest. Fifty days before was Passover, there was the beginning of the barley harvest. But now after 50 days, it is the new feast, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of the First Fruits of the Wheat Harvest. That means that they started harvesting the wheat, and the first couple bundles were sacrificed unto the Lord. The first fruits were brought to the Lord. The best was for the Lord, and then the rest was for themselves. 
celebrating the wheat harvest. The disciples did not know when the sea would come. They were told to wait in Jerusalem, and they had no idea. Was it the 10th day, or the 20th day, or the 24th day, or the 30th day? They had no idea. So they were waiting, kind of a long time, they were waiting for 50 days. Pentecost also means 50, right? Pente. They were supposed to remain in Jerusalem, and they did. And they did not separate those days. No, they were together. They were all in one accord, one place, persistent and believing that the Lord would come, and that the Lord would also fulfill his promises. In his wisdom, the Lord had chosen to give his spirit on this Jewish feast. This was the busiest of all, probably because of the time, because of the season, not too hot, not too cold. What a wisdom. Thousands of visitors from all different countries who tell abroad what they had seen and heard. And in that way, the gospel will be spread all over the world. That was the Lord's purpose on that day. That is therefore not doubt God's wisdom and leave matters in God's hands. He knows this is kind of the first application we hear tonight, this morning. First application. He knows the best and we better wait for God's time. The Lord reigns. Uh, things are happening only when the fullness of time has come. In many different ways. The fullness of time. When the time is full, when the glass is full, the time glass. The Lord reigns. And things happen only when the fullness of time has come. I would like to encourage you to leave everything in God's hands. To do what's right to wait also many other ways. There might be another reason why the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Jewish day of Pentecost. Another reason. Because, as I said, the Pentecost feast was the fifth year after Passover and there was also a Thanksgiving feast. Now we have Thanksgiving after the crops have been harvested, or at, me, at least most of it. In Israel, Pentecost was celebrated when the first fruits were harvested. Pentecost, therefore, is the day that indicates the beginning of the harvest. Is that not remarkable? The day that the Holy Spirit came indicated the beginning of God's harvest. And the full harvest will follow. So the first fruits are gathered in. Pentecost refers to the time that God finishes his work on earth and begins to reap the fruits of all the work Christ has done. Pentecost marks the last time period of this earth and is therefore a most serious time. So what I mean is, the time between Pentecost and the second coming is the harvest time. 
and Pentecost itself is the beginning, the first fruit of it. Because the Lord's purpose is to have his church saved, to have them all saved. And the most blessed time ever is the time after Pentecost. Then the word is spread over the whole earth to save all the elect. Pentecost emphasizes that now is the time of grace, the acceptable time and most precious time of the Lord. Let us use that time. Let us not waste the time, not serve the idols of our time. We have better things to do and seek. Today is the acceptable year of the Lord. Acceptable time. What does that mean? Acceptable time. It's the time of God's favor. God has chosen a special time, the time between Pentecost and now, I mean, between Pentecost and the second coming, as the most favored time, the most blessed time, the time that the gospel is preached to the whole world and also to us. It is the time of God's delight. Let me quote two verses. Exodus 34. And thou shalt observe the feast of weeks of the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. And Romans 16, verse 5. Likewise, greet the church that is in the house. Salute my well-beloved Epinetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. So there's also a first fruit for the Apostle Paul in the house of one of his friends. The acceptable time, the day of Pentecost. Let's go to the second thought, the work of the Holy Spirit. Congregation parents love their children. Of course they do. They hope that their heads are good, their teeth straight, their limbs strong, their hands complete. Even a temporary and minor injury can upset a mother or father. Surprisingly, many parents hardly care for the eternal welfare and soul of their children. They just don't think about it. They, 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 they just hope that they will live a long life and they block it out. They're not concerned about their soul. They're concerned about their, their bodies and their career and their schools, the, the, the schooling. Many parents miss a dimension, only think earthly, horizontally, care for the visible, for the physical, for the mental, for the social well-being of the children. The same is true for many organizations and societies. People are generally concerned with other people, move when they hear about suffering, hunger, stress, anxiety. Most people want to help others. 
Although you are offspring of Adam, by God's grace you have compassion with people. However, little or no compassion for souls. We just don't see it. We are so blind for them. We appear to be blind for that aspect of us humans. Even so that we care more for a bleeding finger, more for a sprained ankle, than for a soul. The reason why religion still thrives is only because it is a safe haven for people. Because it gives a feeling of belonging. But there is the generous desire for God, the hunger for the Almighty One, the longing to become reconciled to our Creator. There is the longing, the hunger. On the day of Pentecost, they are reminded of the most important need of sinners. The giving of the Spirit concerns the welfare of soul and body, promotes the love for missions, for evangelization, for outreach to Jewish people. As a result of the outpouring of the Spirit, there is a deeper and broader love for souls. Some call the work of deacons mission work as well. I'd rather state that the care for the temporal needs should accompany mission work, but mission work itself is first of all verbal outreach for souls. Do we truly care for souls? Not only pastors and missionaries do, all God's children do, although not always as much as they should. Do we view people, our people, as mortal? And yet, as created for eternity, do we want to be saved? Do we seek salvation for others? Does our compassion for souls, does it concern us that many are still unsaved? Do we suffer from that? You know, some people are concerned about the outer things only. As long as my children don't do this and don't go there. When they walk the path, when they do what they're supposed to do, they're fine. What about the soul? They need also a new heart, also them behaving well. The concern is that so many are still unsaved. Nice people, behaving well, super kids, but not a new life, and fall on account. How much do we really care when we, when the Lord grants us the Holy Spirit, our hearts break, our eyes are opened, and mainly, but not only for our own needs, we also begin to see the needs of others. When the Lord gives a mother a new heart, she is not only concerned about herself, also about her children. When a grandfather becomes converted, it's not only that it happens to him, he begins to pray for his offspring, that is connected to them. I remember as a young man, as a child yet, that I was 
Stop it, Lord. With Psalm 42, and I became deeply concerned with myself and with my soul's welfare. I felt so unconverted. I was so sad, so broken. Beginning to read the Bible. They also began to pray for others. I still remember standing in front of the window and I saw people walking by, going to church. And I had to pray for them. Because I saw them as people with a soul for eternity. That's part of it. If you're concerned about your own soul, not about other souls, something is wrong. You don't see it. When the Holy Spirit grants us this, our hearts break and our eyes are opened, mainly but not only for our own needs, and begin to sink in what is meant to be unconverted, we begin to unselfishly care for souls. Pray for that compassion. Let me quote from the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 8. May it also be true for you. For us. For from you, from you, creation, sound out the word of the Lord. Sounded out the word of the Lord. Not only into Macedonia and in Achaia, but also in every place, your faith to God's word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. So people have heard about you. have heard about your faith. Or think of that text that Reverend Kite meditated upon. When he was traveling the island of Bali in Indonesia. And he saw all those Idol temples. And he saw almost every, every restaurant had a little altar. I've seen myself as well. And he was walking through that city of Denpasar. And this text came to his mind. Now when Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was stirred in him. When he saw the city Holy given to idolatry. The city wholly given into idolatry. And it, it stirred him. His, his spirit was stirred in him. That is part of the call into the ministry. When people are coming to the curatorium, we listen for that. That need, that concern, that Spears stirred, and they see so many being unconverted. Or think of Matthew 5, verse 13. Ye are the salt of the, of the earth, but if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Is it thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men? Are you the salt of the world? Are you without taste? No salt in there? How unfruitful, how empty it is. 
I read in Luke 19 about the Lord Jesus commenting to the Pharisees. Many children came down from Mount Olivet with the Lord Jesus and they started singing. Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees said to the Lord Jesus, stop them. Stop them singing about thee. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if they should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. So that it's such a force. The Holy Spirit wants it to be said. So what was poured out on the day of Pentecost? What changed in fact? Did the Holy Spirit begin to work more powerfully than before? Yes. Teach more effectively, in a way. Bring home more, certainly. Apply in a, straight, in a, in a strong way. Reach out to more people, yes. But that is not all. The Holy Spirit came himself. The Holy Spirit came himself. You say, how, how can it be? Well, the Lord Jesus took upon himself a human nature and visited the earth. He came down. He descended. And he was part of us. He became equal to the brethren in all things. Sin accepted. In a similar way, the Lord, in a similar way, the Holy Spirit came down and was poured out. And we think then of the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost also existed and was part of the Trinity before. But on the day of Pentecost, he descended in a way. He was sent from the Father into the world. He had not been sent during the old dispensation, but Christ, having paid the price, allowed the Spirit to inhabit this world and to make it his own. This world is now the world under the auspices of the Holy Ghost, we say. The Holy Spirit has come, and this, this world is not a sin anymore. He is holding Satan back. He wants more people to be saved. This is the acceptable time. This is the time of salvation. Do we realize that the Holy Spirit is a person? We baptize in his name. We bless in his name. He grants God's children gifts as he will. He inspired the Bible authors we can lie against the Holy Ghost. The person of the Holy Ghost is not a side of God. No. Not an aspect of the Most High, but a person. He is not of less importance than the Father and the Son. Not less loved by the Father than the Son. Not less loved by the Son than the Father. He is of equal value. And God's children even become temples of the Holy Ghost. 
and the Holy Ghost as a person, not only as a power or energy, as a person, he enters into their heart and he become, they become temples of the Holy Ghost. They did not, did not only become aware of that, but the disciples are filled with the Holy Ghost. So do we love the Holy Ghost? Do we depend on him? Do we call upon him? Do we experience him? When the word humbles and breaks us, he is at work. When the Lord applies the invitation, it is him. It's the Holy Spirit who has come. When the word comforts us, he is behind it. He is the beloved Holy Ghost. No wonder Dave was afraid that the Lord would take the Holy Ghost from him. Bring us to the third thought. The power of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost works in a, in a general way and in an extraordinary way. He was involved in creation. He bestowed gifts upon men. He also works irresistibly in the hearts of the elect. He causes sinners to desire holiness and changes people. He resurrects sinners. That is extraordinary already and happened also during the time of the Old Testament. With Pentecost, we see an even more extraordinary power. Pentecost is, of course, not the beginning of creation, not the commencement of conversions, not the start of renewing people's lives, but the amount of people that are converted, the sort of people that are converted, is extraordinary. The Holy Ghost has come earth to push the work hard, to begin that great offensive. I thought of Ukraine. Are they planning a spring offensive? Are they planning to just push it hard and to push the Russians back? Are they just acquiring tanks from all over the world to get ready and then to push hard and then to, del to deliver them? from the Russian occupation. So with reverence, the Holy Spirit comes and begins to work hard and to conquer this world and to conquer hearts so that his kingdom might come. With extraordinary power, the Holy Ghost begins to work among the Gentiles and gives the church a strong motivation for mission work. That was missing in the Old Dispensation. During the time of the Old Testament, God worked individually, person by person, but not with such mighty revivals, not so massive among other nations. God's kingdom must come and the trickle becomes a stream. One nation to focus on, God begins his work worldwide. Those 
do so until all the elects from the nations have been gathered in. This time period is the time we today live in, the time between Pentecost and the second coming. It's the time that mission work is more important than ever. That's why we have a collection for mission today, for the North American General Mission, because mission work and Pentecost are connected. Pentecost is, is the beginning of mission work. It is the time of the Holy Ghost. Let us love mission work. Let us support it. Let us also pray for it. And at the same time, let us not forget about ourselves. On the day of Pentecost, thousands of Jews are converted. Not only proselytes, also the natural seed of Abraham. Let us pray for such a revival in North America, in Europe, and in Africa, in Asia, but also here in our congregation. Let us pray for a revival, for more seriousness, for more brokenness, from that, for that real choice of heart. One of the marks of that time is what you read in Joel 2. It shall come to pass after that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. See? It's that day. It is like the wind. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. So kind of indicating that irresistible power. Wind. Can we control wind? Can we start wind? Can we shoot certain projectiles into the sky and just stop the wind? And just redirect the wind? We do a lot. But we cannot do that. We have not been able to redirect the wind into a different course. The wind blows where it blows. We cannot resist it. No wonder the wind is in the Bible an example of the freedom and the extraordinary power of the Lord. The wind goes where it listeth, where it wants to go. And you cannot stop him. So the Spirit of God is free and nobody can resist him. Nobody can force the Spirit into a certain direction. Nobody can tell God what to, what to do and where to go and how to work. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Suddenly. It still happens suddenly. The time of the Lord's choice. The Lord converts people so unexpectedly. There is hope for all of us. 
The noise of the wind came suddenly. Nobody knew when the Holy Spirit would be poured out. And nobody had anticipated that the noise would be heard. It was God's time. Not anyone else's. So we have no spiritual techniques to manipulate the spirit. We have nothing to substitute the spirit with. Let's not even try to make wind ourselves. To use our fans to move people's hearts, to make people emotional. We cannot apply the word of God. The word of God is for the doing it. Where the Holy Spirit is therefore pray for the Spirit to come and to work. And yet the people were in the temple. That is good to consider. There are places where we may expect the wind to blow. There are places that we cannot expect the wind to blow. Although the Lord is almighty. The disciples were in one accord in the adjacent rooms of the temple when they heard the noise of a mighty wind. Normally the Lord let this wind blow in church. And we read his word, not in the arena, not in the theaters, not in the places of idleness, but the Lord especially works in, in, in the church. Look here. We depend upon the Spirit to blow, and we can only ask for a special wind, the wind, the Spirit. The ghost, the breath. In the Bible, it's all the same word. Not only in the Old, also in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit doesn't only come as a wind, he also breathes the breath of life in the dead. As we sin as our spiritually dead by origin, we need the wind to start blowing in our lives. We need the irresistible wind to come into the soul and quicken us, to resurrect us out of our sleep. We do not only need to confess that we believe in Jesus, with mouth, the heart, right? The heart. We need that wonder to happen. Not only to say I feel sorry, but to be sorry. Not only to say I believe in Jesus, but to do it. Do you still resist the Holy Ghost? Or has the Spirit conquered your heart? John 3, verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So the day of the Spirit, the word of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, and finally the praise of the Spirit. We hear that mighty wind rushing, the sound of it anyway, indicating the Holy Spirit coming as a wind. But also we see 
cloven tongues like as a fire sitting on them. So flames of fire, tongues of fire, indicating that the Holy Spirit speaks. You say, well, minister, the tongues in our mouth are different than the tongues of fire. Yes, but it is also close. The tongues of fire are an example of the power of the word. The Lord works with power and he speaks. And they begin to speak themselves, right? The tongues, the cloven tongues, like as a fire sitting upon each of them, and they are filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with all the tongues. So with tongues on their head, they began to speak with with all the tongues. Same word. So what did they say then? I'm just wondering. I'm curious. Began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Spirit helped them with speaking what they're supposed to say. What did they say? We know that from verse 11. Creeds and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. In Latin it says, the magnalia dei, the wonderful works of God. So that is what they are doing. They are preaching God's glory. They are preaching God's, God needs to be magnified. If someone is filled with the Holy Ghost, God is magnified. God is glorified. God is praised. The Holy Spirit does not speak of himself. Whatsoever he shall hear, that shall people speak. The third person causes sinners to open their mouth and praise God from the heart for who he is and what he does. He gives sinners the experience of how amazing God's grace is, how incredible, how stunning, how incomprehensible. The disciples became thrilled and could not think of anything else but God and Christ. Do you know about that? Have you, do you have your moments that you're so filled with awe and love and with amazing grace that you must praise the Lord and say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. They're praising the Lord. They're glorifying him with joy in their hearts. So we see that the work of the Holy Spirit is to God's glory. Mission work is for God's glory. Preaching is for God's glory. Conversion is for God's glory. Be, do, do we know something of Pentecost, something of that being absorbed by the glory of God, of the sweet mediation of him? Do we know of that ruminating the wonders of God? 
Missionaries are sent out, ministers called, elders chosen, deacons elected because of God. Mission work is about saving people for a purpose. For the glory of God. To praise, to the praise of the glory of God's grace. We read in Ephesians 1. Ezekiel had to bring a humbly message. I do know this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither ye went. So the Lord is saving a people for his name's sake. What they do and what they are does not matter how serious cannot possibly be the reason why God would save sinners. However, there's a sole reason for God loving sinners and being kind. What is it? What is the reason why God changes hearts and loves sinners? The reason is that God is doing it for himself. The reason why the Holy Spirit was put out is God's love for God. God has a delight in being God. God knows God. God knows God. And prepares to do anything for Him. God knows that God is worthy of our honor and glory. God does but magnifies Him the most. Therefore, the disciples were magnifying God on the day of Pentecost. Have we seen my God yet save sinners and did that become the wonder? Was our mouth open with wonderment? 1 Samuel 12, verse 22, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his, for his great namesake. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Again, 1 Samuel 12, verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake. Or Isaiah 48, verse 9. For my name's sake will I defer my anger, and for my praise will I refrain for thee that I cut thee not off. And Isaiah 48, verse 11, For mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. So on the day of Pentecost, all those disciples, with the cloven tongues in their hand, are praising God with their tongues. Some are mocking when they saw this, frowning, some are angry, some are indifferent, some are impressed. We have many the word bounced off. They respond that they are drunk, they have too much wine, but God can do wonders. And we read later that more than 3,000 were convicted and became concerned, and became believers. Marcus were addressed by Peter, and who knows how many of them 
he has repented. Declare of God. He can break the hearts of indifferent ones, of the atheists, of the rebels. Some were civil, some were just puzzled, some were just in doubt. They could not interpret it, did not know what to do with this, they were wondering what this all meant, but in the days could not give this a place. They at least were made to think and took something home that they could digest. And maybe they realized later that God had spoken, and who knows how many of those doubters later were pricked in their heart. Now when this was noised abroad for six, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So it's also a miracle. They spoke foreign languages because for mission work you need to know languages. You need to, to study languages like the Spanish language. You have to study that. That is because mission work is part of that. You're going to close. Are you still resisting the Holy Ghost? Can you? We all do. We continue to resist the Holy Spirit. We say we can't. The work of the Spirit is irresistible. It depends. There is a common work of the Spirit and the saving work of the Spirit. I read in Acts 7, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. So have you now resisted your whole life? Have been in church your whole life? And still yourself, still unconverted, that means that you have been resisting. And said, no, not yet. I can't do this. I have no desire. See, that is something. We read in Hebrews 4, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But as I indicated before, thus say the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in the day of salvation have I helped thee. At the Young People's Conference this week, there was a question. Does the Lord love everyone? Pastor, does the, Lord, does the Lord love all people or not? Could you please answer that? And I tried, and let me just say it also this morning again. Yes, in a sense. Yes, in a sense. Does the Lord love all of us? 
yes, in a sense. Let me uh, prove that from the Bible. And when the Lord Jesus went forth into the way, there came one running. And he kneeled to him and asked him, God, good master, rather, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why call this dumb eager? There's none good but one. That is God. And thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. And this rich young ruler answered, Master, all these have observed from my youth. I did all those two things. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. So the Lord Jesus said to him, or the Lord Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and was honest to him. He loved him and said, you're lacking something. You are missing the point. You are unconverted. He was beholding him, he loved him, and was honest to him. He was, for his own account, he was not saved. So he loved him, but he was not saved. We call that the love of God's goodness. It is not the same as the love of God's reconciliation, of God's fellowship, of God's forgiveness. So there's a goodness of God that the Lord loves his own creation. The Lord loves animals. The righteous knows the life of his beast. The Lord loves also children. And the Lord loves people. But therefore the Lord also warns people that they by nature children of wrath. So he loves the people that is the people under the curse. See that? So it does not, we don't, we don't say the Lord has forgiven everyone. The Lord has paid for everyone. And the Lord, you just have to believe that he, he has saved you and that he has forgiven you. No. But the Lord in his goodness, in his extreme goodness, really appreciates that people live according to the law. Of course. That they sound is good. But they live so precisely. But it is missing the point. He was born in them. Nevertheless, keep it in mind, young, young people, old ones, 
the intention of the Lord. The Lord stretching out his arms unto people and warning them, why would he die? Is that not kind of love to say, why would he die? I have no pleasure in your death. Is that not love? It is not saving love, but it is the good of God. You're going to close. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Apostle Paul speaking. For the love of Christ constrains us. The love of Christ he had in mind forced him to preach the word. Forced him to reach out to the Gentiles. And to tell the Gentiles there is only salvation in him. And we're dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language. They're all amazed and marveled. Maybe you have more than that. Not only being amazed and marvel, but maybe be broken. And just keep in mind, boys and girls, the Lord is so good, He calls you. He calls all of you. And He means it. He calls you. My son, my daughter, give me your heart. Amen.